Welcome to Vinyasa in Verse, the podcast where we connect mind, body, and spirit through poetry and practice. I'm Leslie Ann Hobayan. Together, we'll explore different ways of connecting with our innermost selves and how to tap into the flow of the universe. Because once that happens, anything is possible. Your best life starts now. Hello, loves. Welcome to another episode of Vinyasa in Verse. How are you on this beautiful day? I hope wherever you are, you have some time to take a deep breath and enjoy the beauty in that full nourishing breath. And so today I have a very special guest, one who is a beautiful soul, a poet I've known for many years. We won't do the math. Um, because we don't age. (laughs) Um, And she is actually calling in, if we can say calling in, live from the DC area. Um, And I want to welcome to the show, Ruth Foreman. Hello, hello, my friend. I'm so glad you could be here. I'm so glad to be here. Every time I'm with you, I always feel at peace. Even in the times when we were at the clubs in San Francisco. <laughs> I still had this inner peace while still grooving on the dance floor. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> oh, it's so good, so good. Um, all right, so we'll start the episode with our random selection of Hafez's poem. Well, let's see, I like to do the little ruffle of pages of the mic. Hmm. Oh my God, this is, okay. The Sky Hunter. Keep ringing the bell, play the tambora, calling for him. For you have touched something holy inside with your spirit body. And now your eyes look broken without his sacred presence near. The heart is like that, blessed and ruined, once it has known divine beauty. Then it becomes a restless sky hunter. The lover keeps circling in their being, their sweetest moments with God, needing to kiss his face again. Mm. I love that. Do you need me to read it again, or do you have some things that are standing out for you that you'd like to speak on? Mm. Can you read it one more time? Yeah. This is one of my favorites. Maybe that's why it keeps opening to that one. (laughs) Either that or we really need it right now. (laughs) Or both. The Sky Hunter. Keep ringing the bell, playing the tambora, calling for him. For you have touched something holy inside your spirit body. And now your eyes look broken without his sacred presence near. The heart is like that blessed and ruined once it has known divine beauty. Then it becomes a restless sky hunter. The lover keeps circling in their being, their sweetest moments with God, needing to kiss his face again. Hmm. So what is speaking to you in this poem? Oh my goodness. I think what comes to me is that, you know, God is always present 
um, within us. This is this is how I feel. Mm-hmm. Um, God is always present within us, and when we have those moments where we're quiet enough, um, or I mean, there can be any. There can be so many ways to connect to the God within ourselves, but maybe it's through creativity or maybe it's through meditation, maybe it's through some type of moving meditation like yoga um, or Tai Chi, maybe it's through prayer, maybe it's through service. There are so many different ways we can touch that, that place. And when we do, um, especially if you're thinking about it in terms of Hafez's poetry, it's ecstasy. It's mm. just, you know, it's just so much light and um, it's perfect. It's perfection. But then, you know, we're here. And so there are so many distractions to um, take our attention away from that union with um, the God within ourselves. So. Um, oftentimes, I think we can be so distracted that we forget um, to reconnect. And um, when we forget to reconnect, we can't be satisfied. You know, we can try, um, but we can't be satisfied. And so I, it just that poem just reminds me of the sweetness of when we can take the time to remember and to connect. Um, that yeah, it, it just that poem just reminds me of that that beauty. But I, I feel like that's part of our um, condition here on Earth. It's just that that finding God while we're here, mm. finding that finding that connection while we're here, or remembering it. Because I think yes, that that's really important. That 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 you said it's it's a, a forgetting. You know these distractions cause us to forget that we've got divinity within us, and and we lose that connection because we're looking externally for satisfaction. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I'm thinking about the poem in relationship to what you just said, it's it's like we have known pure ecstatic divine love we just don't remember and so we're grumpy all the time you know and then we're like why are we so grumpy and why are we so angry and why do we hate people um and i think it's because of that that forgetting that disconnect um and that really sucks (laughs) if i'm gonna be if i'm gonna be plain about it right um but how can we then get back to that you know how how do you get back to that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How do I get back to that? I think that um, for me, prayer has always been uh, a part of, of getting back to that. Mm. And um, I'm, I am part of the Baha'i faith um, where prayer and meditation is a very important part of your connection with with God and so 
for me, the very first thing I try to do when I wake up is to say prayer. Mm. And I remember um, many years ago, I had a friend who um, loved to connect with nature and go out for a walk first thing in the morning. And she would tell me, you know, you should go out and you should, you should really walk and connect with the day. And I told her, um, because that was her way of connecting, which is beautiful, but you know, we all have different ways that we can, can connect. And I told her that um, for me, prayer was what walking did for her. And that's where that poem, um, I wear prayers like shoes comes from mm. because um, prayer for me was the way to connect. And over the years, I think I've built on other things. Also writing is, was a way for me to connect, um, poetry. Uh, is that way f is the way for me to ground myself again when I feel too scattered or when mm. I feel afraid of something or when I feel confused any of those things I'll go mm. to writing so writing is another one I've recently added meditation mm. um, which has been really really beautiful I haven't I have not really done meditation um except for, I would probably say within the past year, and it's kind of saved me this past year as well. Mm, yeah, um, yeah. And then also the Tai Chi, um, doing Tai Chi has helped me um, because Tai Chi is a moving meditation. So that's a long way to say all of those things are the things that I do. Um, and this year it's been challenging because we have remote learning at home and so I don't have the same kind of time that I would usually have to do my writing and my prayer and my Tai Chi. But I realized it's so important for me to be able to do them um, in order to just feel grounded as I go through the day and, and connected in the right way or to, to, to approach the day and to approach everyone else with my best self. So, um, the way that I do that is that I have to get up like an hour and a half earlier in the morning so that I can do those things. Because once I get up and make breakfast for my daughter and she's got school, I am already in everybody else's space and I'm not in my space. So I need to take that time first thing when I wake up um, to, to connect in the way yeah. that I need to connect. And then I can fully you know, be there for everyone for the rest of the day. Yeah. And I think that's, that's a really important um, practice to bring up because I feel that a lot of folks that they, they're like, oh, I know meditation's good for me. I know like Tai Chi is good for me. I know yoga is good for me. Like everyone's aware of the things that are good for them, but they um, they're like, oh, I don't have time or, you know, it ends up being this, this, second like you yourself end up being like second important person I don't know how to I'm not talking very clearly right now yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but you end up putting yourself on the back burner and I think it's really um, I think it's really great that you are putting yourself first in terms of caring for yourself before caring for your family and a lot of people forget that when we don't care for ourselves we end up not being able to serve as fully as we want to so um, how did you get to that point of understanding 
that, that that taking care of yourself first um, is really crucial to being fully present for others. Because I, I know it's not like something people are born with, especially women, you know, mm-hmm. where we're conditioned to like serve others. Everyone is before me. Um, I'll be the last one to eat dinner or whatever it is. Um, how did you come to this practice, this understanding? Uh, I think I got a little help and I'm not sure where I got the help from, but it reminds mm. me of uh, Rumi's poem, Don't Go Back to Sleep. Yes. Um, I think just, it was overwhelming at the beginning of quarantine mm. because suddenly, <laughs> and I remember telling friends, like suddenly I was, because in the spring, like the schools didn't know what was going on. I mean, they granted this was, it was such a steep learning curve for everyone, mm-hmm. but the the remote learning at home in the spring was such a hard experience and suddenly I had to be the teacher and I had to like cook all the meals right and um you know I just had to be there for everyone and it was overwhelming and crazy making but you know fortunately there are there were other people to talk with about being in that experience and I'm not quite sure when it was in the experience exactly. Oh, I will say this though. I will say that um, a friend of mine um, loved meditation and she really wanted to share the practice of meditation with close friends of hers. And so she invited us into a meditation group before mm-hmm. you know, COVID even happened. And it, and it turned out that um, in those early days of quarantine, she shared meditations that were really helpful, I think, for all of us. So I was already kind of tapping into more of a quiet space because of this friend who invited me to meditation. But uh, at some point, like, I just kept on getting woken up before dawn. And it was, Mm. it was like 5am. And I was wide awake. And I just had the feeling, don't go back to sleep. And I thought, well, if I have this if I have this time, I might as well, you know, get up and write. And so I would, that's the first thing I would do is I would write. Mm. And then I would say some prayers. And then I might have some time to do some meditation. And it felt so good. And I felt myself so strong. I felt myself, Mm. it didn't even, and it's funny, it didn't even take that long. Maybe it took an hour, maybe an hour and a half, maybe sometimes it was half an hour. But Whatever time it was that I took, I was so fully present for the rest of the day. Things didn't phase me as much. Things didn't mm-hmm. bother me. Oh and then I realized my daughter, she, I mean, she already, I feel like she's already awesome, but she was so awesome. She was just, she was so good and she was so patient. And, and, I, and part of it, I, I realized somewhere along the way, I was like, how is she being so amazing right now? And she was, but I think she was also responding to how I was acting because Mm -hmm. I had taken care of what I needed to take care of first. Totally. And and because that all felt so good, it was worth the sacrifice of getting up earlier in the morning. I mean, there are still some days sometimes where I felt like I needed to sleep more. Mm -hmm. And so I would sleep more, but it just, 
everything like clicked into place so well and felt so right and things were actually doable where <laughs> they didn't feel as doable before right um suddenly uh i was able to get through the day and and i wasn't tired and there were so many things that were going on and i still felt like i accomplished something and i still felt like i wrote or you know did whatever i needed to do for my books and i just realized that um that time before every before the house awakes is very concentrated as well. Like if I did mm-hmm. it while they were up, it would probably take me three hours instead of like forty five minutes. So I also understood um, how special that was. And a friend a friend told me something a long time ago. With anything that needs to be done, he said, "Leave a little room for the divine. Mm. Leave a little room for the divine." Mm. And I feel like. Um, doing that, you know, getting up in the morning is just giving that space for the yeah. mind. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I, I love that. Mm-hmm. Oh, that is so beautiful. I love that. And I love that you shared your experience of waking up early because I know most people are like, oh my God, you know, like they think about waking early. If you're not a morning person, like you're just general public, you know, they think about waking up early as like this really hard thing. But the fact that you were just like woken up, you know, I mean, when you said you had help, I'm like, yeah, you had help. It was like, oh, not tired anymore. Okay, I'm up. Now what do I do? <laughs> you know, but then for you to discover the magic in being in that quiet space of just before the world starts to wake up is, is so valuable. It's so nourishing. Um, and I'm, I'm just so glad that you found that. Um, yeah. <laughs> at, this, at this late time, I mean, mind you, I've been, I've read about this for years and years and years. I read about it in poetry. I hear about it from other people, other writers. I heard about it, you know, through, you know, Toni Morrison and, you know, all these people who got up early and I was like, oh, that is nice. I am not a morning person, but, you know, I, I was like, oh, I admire that. That's nice. But somehow during this time, I really realized Yes, what she said, the magic in that time. Mm-hmm. And I, I wouldn't trade it for anything. It, I mean, to me, that's that's part of my survival right now. I think. Yeah, yeah. And I think you sharing that with, with our listeners might be helpful for them to think about maybe getting up just a little bit earlier, not even, you know, like the two hours or hour and a half, whatever it is, just a little bit, just to like get that time to yourself before the craziness of the day unfolds. Um, that's so, so key. So how has this practice inform your writing practice? You know, this practice of getting up, of being fully Mm -hmm. present, um, has that seeped into your writing, you know, outside of the, the morning journaling? Yeah, I think so. I, I think, first of all, it's just opening the door for whatever to come through, come through. And many times my students will ask me, you know, uh, you know, what, what are some of the things I can think about to, you know, be more regular in my practice or um, just to be more serious in my practice. And I usually tell them, just give yourself a little bit of time to write and let it just come through. So it might be, uh, you know, tell yourself for the next three days, I'm going to write I'm going to write three little pieces for the next three days and that's it. And I'll give myself 10 minutes to do it. Or I'll give myself five minutes to do it. 
And I think it's amazing the relationship between writing and time, because sometimes you can write something so rich and so deep and you look at the clock and you're like, wait, how did only three minutes go by <laughs> or whatever? Yeah. You know? yep. and so it's, it's really about opening the door to let whatever come through, come through. Hmm. And a lot of times it's just, you know, this piece is awful and that's a piece, you know, yeah. or, and, but other times it's just kind of clearing the way for mm. something really tailored just for you to come through or mm. something that you really, really needed to say to come through or something from your higher self to say to come through. And um, a lot of times some of those little gems that come through are then things that I work on that become something else. Mm. But it's also like the practice of Tai Chi. Tai Chi, you're, you're doing this moving meditation to kind of clean the uh, energetic pathways in your body. Mm -hmm. So um, as you're doing the Tai Chi, as you're doing the movement, you're, you're clearing those pathways and you can feel your energy running smoother. Um, and I think the same thing happens with doing the writing in the morning. You're kind of clearing mm. the pathways for yeah. whatever to come through, for that really clean energy to come through. Yeah. That, that can carry some things that really need to be said. So yeah. I also pay attention to those things as well. I also try to make sure that I do my Tai Chi. Right now, the relationship is a little bit different. A lot of times I would do my Tai Chi and then write because as I'm clearing out the energy, the energy with the Tai Chi, then the writing feels a lot clearer and cleaner mm. and smoother. Cool. Um, but right now, you know, I'm not doing Tai Chi at five in the morning. I'm just waking up and I'm writing in the morning. And it's, it's pretty much the same thing. But I, I know that if I can clear that energy, my writing is going to be stronger, even if I'm writing later in the day, even if it's not those first morning pages. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad. I really like how you expressed it as a clearing, you know, like, because, you know, when I talk to my students about, about journaling or whatever, I'm like, you just got to get the garbage, just dump out the garbage, you know, but, but yours is so much better. It's like clearing the way. It's like almost like you're in this jungle of creativity and you just want to clear the path so that you can see or get access to that, that for me, that divine message to come through. Um, and I love that connection of, of Tai Chi with writing and Tai Chi as a clearing. It's so funny because ever since I first met you, um, you know, Tai Chi was, was always a big like association. I was like, Ruth Tai Chi, Ruth Tai Chi, you know, <laughs> and I've always wanted to start practicing it, but you know, it just never got to it. Um, but I, I, um, was able to, to experience a little bit of it when I was in India two years ago. Um, a friend of mine, you know, kind of took me through some, some movements and I was really like blown away by mm. the energy that moves and the energy that you can create. And so linking that with writing is really amazing to me that I'm like, how are you not floating around already? <laughs> like total elevation. Um, it's really, it's really amazing. 
And, um, and I, and I know that for you, the spiritual and the writing are very much intertwined. Um, and, and I just, I don't know, I just want people to know that that's, that that's an option that to be spiritual doesn't mean you, you have to sit on a cushion and meditate and go home for like three hours or whatever, <laughs> that it can look like anything that helps us to focus and to, and to access and clear the way. Um, so yeah, so I, um, I was wanting to also ask you about any of your writing projects now, because I know you have this new book out called Curls. I love it. I haven't read it because I'm not three, (laughs) but I should, I should get it anyway, because it's beautiful. Um, can you, can you talk a little bit about, um, well, about the book? because mm-hmm. you know it's awesome and i've seen i've seen so many pictures about of it and all the moms are loving it um but i also want to ask you about how the writing has shifted to this direction of of children's books i think we've talked about it in the past but um it'd be great for folks who know you as a poet primarily um to hear about this journey that you've had into um writing children's books yeah So I've always wanted to write children's books. And even when I was a kid, people asked me what what I do, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I always would say, I want to be a children's book author. So um, I always wanted to do it. And I even, I think when I was six, I did my first book of poetry. And I think my father still has it somewhere. But, and I did a, a children's book in 2007. Mm-hmm. which was Young Cornrows Calling Out the Moon, was, which was actually a poem from We Are the Young Magicians. Um, and I, I wanted to do more, but I also loved writing poetry, and I was working on a novel for a while. And then um, <laughs> I met my husband, and my whole world just went... <laughs> just suddenly I moved and I you know I got married and I moved and suddenly I was pregnant and um then suddenly I had a daughter and I'm in this you know new place and I think having a child is a really different place to write a children's book from mm. I always loved you know children's literature always wanted to write it I always wanted to be in that world and I enjoyed being in that world with young cornrows. But when I had my daughter and I was picking out the books and we were reading together, I saw even more what I wanted my daughter to be able to read. And I just, I was not seeing that a lot, mm-hmm. especially, I mean, this was a few years ago. Um, so I'm talking maybe, you know, 2013, 2014. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, Walter Dean Myers actually wrote a New York Times op-ed piece, I think, in Mm. 2014 about just the lack of diversity in children's books. And it was really frustrating for me to see the ones, the books that I um, loved for my child, I would, we would read them over and over again. There were certain illustrators like Vanessa Brantley Newton. I would look for all of her books because I just loved um, her illustrations. And um, so I, I knew that I wanted to write what I wanted her to read. So I was already working on a couple children's books. 
And then <laughs> PK3 happened where she had, she had, she has a late, bear with me when I talk about this. She has a late birthday. So she had done PK3 at one school, which was a much more diverse school. They had a wonderful after-school program where she was learning about, um, you know, it, it was an African-centered Montessori school. So she was learning like all of these, learning all of this wonderful history um, about really wonderful role models as 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 mm. an African American. She, my daughter is mixed. She, my husband is white, and so she. I wanted to make sure she was getting so. I was wanted to make sure she was getting so much in her education that had to do with um, our history, African American history, and social justice. So we had the, she was in this great school. Then when next year we moved her to another school, she had to do PK three over again because of her late birthday. This school was much less diverse and much, much less diverse. And all of a sudden she started coming home saying, I wish my, and she's only three. Mm. I wish my hair was straight. Oh. Uh, I don't think brown skin is as good as white skin. Mm. I don't like my curly hair. I don't, I don't think curly hair is as good. You know, so I remember just feeling so... Oh crushed, angry, devastated, mm -hmm. all so the things, I, all the things, all the things. And I went to the school and I talked with one of her teachers who, uh, long story short, said she they wanted to diversify, quote unquote, diversify the literature, which they did. But immediately we turned to literature for my daughter. Mm. And I could. And, and so we were asking friends, we were asking family, no toys, just give us books. Mm -hmm. give us books for her give us give us beautiful black characters give us curly hair give us you know and people responded and it was wonderful and I would say I would say within two to three months like that all of that was gone mm. but but the fact that moments, it happens yeah in those <laughs> moments I was so I, I mean, there were so many emotions happening. I was devastated. I was crushed. I was like, how could this happen to my daughter? <laughs> you know? How yeah, yeah, yeah. And she had friends who were feeling the same way as well. Mm. Mm. And I, I was like, I'm a writer. I've got to do something for them. So it was more than this love of, it was an urgency. It was critical. Yeah. And so um, I was working on a couple other books that I, I wanted um, for girls anyway, for girls of color. But this just popped out curls just popped out and it was just wanting to show these girls loving their beautiful curly hair my daughter's got such beautiful hair all her mm. friends have such beautiful hair and I just wanted them to just celebrate that because they didn't see there's 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 a lot of lack of celebration yeah <laughs> I mean yeah. now it's different I, I feel like in 2020 oh my gosh there's so many beautiful books and I wish we had those when she was just a little bit younger mm. but I realized that um you know this is it's so critical it is so yeah. so critical and yeah yeah um so yeah so I I, I I got to work and a lot of people a lot of publishers passed but there were mm. a few and and there was one um publisher who's the editor was a poet and he just got it he's like let's mm. do it Mm. So now so there will be more as well, celebrating um, hair, skin color, 
because yeah. I, we need them, especially, and I, I just didn't realize that it would happen so young. I didn't realize she would need it at age three. So yeah. 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 Wow. That's, that's amazing. Out. That's amazing. Um, it's funny that you, that you said that you didn't think that she would need it at, at age three, but at the same time, it doesn't surprise me. I mean, it's, I think it's like something like from birth, you know, like representation matters, but also celebration of that represent, representation. Um, because the, the messages that we receive between, you know, birth and age seven are really like those core memories, those core foundations of behaviors and patterns of how we form our opinions. Um, so it's really important. Um, and I'm so glad that you've written this book and that there are more because now we can start to, to shift things um, where folks like you and I don't have to do as much work at this age, you know, because I'm, I'm doing all this deconditioning, you know, all these messages that I received. And, um, and, you know, I say representation matters. And it used to be something that I understood in theory, right? But then I saw, um, what is it? Um, something, what is the, what is Crazy Rich Asians? Yeah, that one. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I saw that movie and I had seen, you know, like Asian American actors in different things all the time, but this was like all about Asian Americans. It was like, the whole thing, the whole gamut. And I found myself crying watching this movie because mm -hmm. I was like, oh my God, I feel seen, you know? And, mm -hmm. and I'm an adult at this point, right? Mm -hmm. So imagine the impact that you're making for the young kids who are like, oh, I'm not alone. I'm not the only one. I'm not a weirdo. I'm not this or that. I am something to be celebrated. And I, and I wanted to say thank you for, for doing this, for celebrating um, and giving little girls the the head start on something that I don't know about you but that I didn't have um, yeah I didn't have I didn't yeah have that. not in my literature at least yeah yeah and so um so yay <laughs> <laughs> I want to celebrate you <laughs> thank you thank you and I will I, I do have to say that it, it was a choice it, you know, I, I could have been very, cause she said some things I could have been upset with her. I could have yelled at her. I could have gone and cried cause I could, I felt it coming up in front of me, inside me. I could have gone and yelled at, you know, the school, the teachers. Right. Right. But, um, I just had to get quiet and I was like, okay, what can we do? And then mm. that was what came to me was, you know, you're right or right. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Um, I think yeah. that's so important to, to, to point out because that speaks to your own practice of staying connected to yourself, of being in touch with yourself and, and giving yourself that space to respond and then not necessarily outwardly, but to respond and to, and to look at it and to recognize it. Because most folks would just do that. They would just, you know, fly off the handle, be like, listen here, you know, and yell and get angry and cry. Um, and those are all valid experiences. Well, not most all... folks. I mean, there are, there are people right, right. who have the, they will sit and have the talk too. I mean, but there's a range, yeah. there's a range of right, responses. Right, mm. right. But to, but to um, take a step back and ask the, the harder question of like, how can I do this? What, or what can I do to change, to, to make real change? Because it, it, 
because talking to somebody doesn't necessarily change the behavior. I mean, it may in small increments, but you saw the power that you had as a writer um, as far as making change beyond just that school. Because by writing a book, you're affecting change across the board, you know, to all the, the little girls who are going to be reading this book. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's some so. lovely books that's in company with too. So I'm so happy that they have all of these books. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. Oh my God. So what else, what is up next for you in terms of yeah. projects? Mm-hmm. Um, so the next book is called Glow. And I love this book so much. It's about a boy celebrating his dark skin with the moon. Mm. Oh. So that'll be out in May. Oh my God, I can't wait. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just buy these books for myself. I don't need a three-year-old. <laughs> I, don't need, I actually have a niece who's, I think she's four now. So I'll just send her the books, but a copy yeah. for myself as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I, don't think, I don't think you have to have, it. you don't have to be a toddler to enjoy. Yeah, yeah, I love books, but thank you, Ruth. Thank you for writing these books. These are so important. Um, okay, so I wanted to ask you if you had a poem you would like to share with us as we close out our conversation. Yeah, so, okay. I had a poem, and if there's a time I can find it, I'm, I feel like I should read a poem of mine. Okay. But if I cannot find this poem of mine, I will go ahead and read a poem from the um, Daniel Ladinsky Hafez book, which you love and you've mm-hmm. read from as well. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> oh, yeah, you can, you can take a look. Maybe that poem will pop up. Yes. And... And while you search for that poem, I just want to share a little story with the listeners about our early relationship. So Ruth and I um, met in San Francisco almost, oh my God, almost 20 years ago. That's so crazy if we do the math. Um, At a um, writing workshop for writers of color called Vona, Voices of Our Nation's Arts. And I remember Ruth's workshop was the first workshop I've had in a long time. Um, I had just finished a year of nerd school, also known as the PhD program, where I was very steeped in theory. And I remember experiencing a poetry workshop and I was like oh my god what am I doing in grad school I mean not grad school but PhD school you know I need to be a poet this is this is my calling and I remember um, being in your workshop Ruth and holding this particular listeners aren't going to see this but this particular amethyst stone was like my little talisman um, that kept me calm because I was freaking out by telling all the secrets of my family, (laughs) which is what happens when you're a poet, right? (laughs) But it's so good to reconnect and see that um, we both have found our way to connecting with the divine in our own ways, but coming back home, you know, to ourselves is really... Um, it's so beautiful and, and I just love that, that we are both there in our own way. Mm, I love that. I love that. 
Well, I have looked and looked for this piece. I should have been mm. a little bit more prepared. Um, <clears throat> but I think... We don't say should around here, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. It's all good. It's all good. Oh, okay. Wait a minute. I think I may have found it. I hope this is the right version. (laughs) Dun, dun, dun. Uh, Dun, dun, dun. We wait with bated breath. (laughs) That expression always cracked me up. I trust in whatever happens, whatever poem comes forth will be the one that our listeners need to hear. It's hiding from me. So I tell you what, I'll read mm. this poem from Hafez, which I always read for my students. Mm. Um, my students oftentimes uh, will say, I don't know if I'm a writer. I don't know if oh. I can do this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm, am I, am I a writer? And I always love to come to this poem, Mm. which is The Vintage Man. The difference between a good artist and a great one is the novice will often lay down his tool or brush, then pick up an invisible club on the mind's table and helplessly smash the easels and jade. Whereas the vintage man no longer hurts himself or anyone and keeps on sculpting light. Mm. I love that one. I love that last line, sculpting light. Keeps on sculpting light. So whenever people have those questions, there's so many things to make you question yourself or distractions and just to connect just keep on moving, just keep on doing the work, just keep on sculpting light and I think yeah. you'll find your way back. And I just, I love that poem so much. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a great reminder, especially for, for those who want to give up, you know, that they're like, well, I tried or, and then their, their version of trying is like one time, <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, you didn't really try. So just keep going. You know, um, have you seen, this is a sidebar, total sidebar and I don't care. It's my show. Have mm. you seen frozen two? No. Oh, it's so well-written and there's so many good messages in there. And towards the end, Anna, um, has her song, the next right thing. And it talks, Mm. and basically it's about taking just the next right step to not think about, you know, what's happening down the road, you know, a mile away, 10 years from now, whatever, but to be present now and tuning in to finding out what that next right step will be for you. Mm. And then when you take that step, then you get information on what the step is after that. And then after Mm -hmm. that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I, I, hi- I highly recommend it <laughs> you know i didn't see the first one. Oh, you might have to do a uh, double feature <laughs> as far as disney movies go those are actually um i think well done in terms of the storytelling and the writing and the messages that they that they're um conveying so oh. yeah you might want to check it out I will. I will. Oh, 
well, my friend, this was so wonderful. It's so good to, to speak with you about all the things that make me excited because it just so happens that all, they're also the things oh. that make you excited. Wait, that's Leanne. Let me, let me interrupt you for a second. Did you find it? I found it. Ah, see. Do we have time? Yes, of okay. course we do. Okay. Yes. So before you close. All right, my let friends. Me, let me leave this. This is for you too, <gasps> Yes. And the students. Mm, mm, mm. I wrote this for my Breadloaf students a, a couple years ago. Oh, nice. May you take your pen in your hands and never stop writing. May your pen lead you places you never thought you could go. May these places unravel in their darkness to light so gorgeous you do not turn your eyes, just stay in stillness for a while. And may stillness be your companion. May it visit you in moments you call. And even when you don't expect, like an arm around your shoulders at coming dusk, you catching the first of Venus's glint in the sky. And may your eyes always look up and out, despite what you see. For you are a poet, and poets are visionaries, imagining with the left eye, with the right, what could be, even if it isn't yet. And isn't this why we are here, born into our mother's lap to create what has not been here yet? And who are you to imagine light? Who are you to mold this air into something we can breathe a little easier? Who are you to imagine with your head up, eyes to the horizon, something greater for our students, our children, our mothers, fathers, grandmothers, and grandfathers, ancestors, and angels? Who are you to breathe and mint a wind carrying new stories? Who are you to see a new humanity and hope with your peripheral vision? My friend, born here, born now, standing here, now, not then, or then, or then, who are you not to? Mm. Oh my God, I'm so glad you found it. That's so worth it. Ah, <laughs> yes. Thank you so much for, for sharing that with us. Is that um, accessible anywhere? Like, is it published? Nope. Online. <gasps> so we have like secret insider access. What? You know it, it was supposed to be part of um, the Breadloaf's like 100th, um, re, you know, centennial celebration, mm. but because of COVID, we didn't have it, so it was not. It's it's wasn't part of that, so it's not out yet because of. Okay. You know. Okay, but so soon. Yes, you are the first. <laughs> yes. Yes, thank you. Thank you for this gift. Oh my God, I love it. I'm going to just clip this part of the audio and just like put it on repeat on my <laughs> on my phone and I'll be listening to it at night <laughs> subliminally, you know? <laughs> I love it. It's so beautiful. Thank you so much, Aww. Ruth. Oh, I love you. Thank you. <sighs> All right, my friends. So we will close this episode as we always do. The divine light in me bows to the divine light in you. Until next time, namaste. Healing trauma is different for everybody, but it's often overlooked when it comes to women of color. What does healing look like for us? What tools can we use? How can we tap into our own innate power to assist in that healing? In my eight-week course, Heal to Power, I help you through the challenges of healing from traumas, 
including wounds of racism and sexism, generational trauma, childhood trauma, in ways that work from the inside out. This is not the therapy you know. Get on the wait list when doors open again in late January 2021. Go to suryagiyan.com heal to power waitlist for more info because you are worth healing. Your best life starts now.